0: Welcome to the Rejected Religion Podcast. I'm Stephanie Shea. I'm bringing you another episode about magic, this time taking a look at grimoires or invocational texts. My guest this month is Andrea Franquetto. Andrea holds a Master of Science in Architecture from the Politecnico de Milano and a Research Master of Arts in Religious Studies from the University of Amsterdam. Andrea is currently a PhD candidate at Stockholm University and is developing a spatial approach to prescriptive ritual texts, ritual sources, and manuscripts. In particular, Andrea focuses on conceptualizations and constructions of ritual space in the European grimoire tradition of ritual magic from the 13th to the 15th century. In addition, Andrea is teaching a course called Magic in the European History of Religions, Texts, and Traditions, and this is the inspiration for the upcoming discussion. As I explained in the interview, to this point, my podcasts about magic have pretty much focused on modern or contemporary magic. So this was a wonderful opportunity to talk with Andrea about the larger category of magic, as well as how this applies to earlier forms of magic found in grimoires. In the first part of our interview, Andrea and I discussed the complex issue regarding the definition of quote-unquote magic within the Western historical academic study of esotericism and or religion, and how we could perhaps see this meta-category as family resemblances or patterns of magicity that allows for comparisons of different magical practices and attitudes. It may be helpful to the listeners to check out the literature provided in the program notes to get a fuller picture of this ongoing discussion. We also talk about the differences between the etic and emic perspectives, or the outsider versus insider views of quote-unquote magic, as grimoires are concerned with the magician's views and ideas about the rituals they perform and the significance these rituals hold. We also delve into the topic of legitimization of ritual magical practices, as the manuscripts that we are looking at fall within the context of Christianity from the 1200s to the 1500s. In this time period, most magical texts were considered to be heretical by the Church, and this meant that magicians were forced to try to legitimize the use of these manuscripts. We look in particular at the views of Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa von Nettesheim, the author of the famous three books of occult philosophy, and his attempts to restore the reputation of magic as a divine art. During the course of our discussion, several important texts are mentioned, and I'd like to make note of them ahead of time so that you will recognize the names. These being The Key of Solomon, The Ars Notoria, the Picatrix from 1256 that we will be discussing in more detail, the Speculum Astronomi or Mirror of Astronomy, the Abramelin, and the Liber Iratus Honori or the Sworn Book of Honorius. The Sworn Book will be discussed in more detail as it relates to Andrea's own research into ritual spaces, how they are supposed to be constructed, the types of entities being summoned, plus much more. We use Andrea's article titled, Imaginal Architectural Devices and the Ritual Space of Medieval Necromancy, as the basis for this part of the interview, and he explains these concepts in more detail, especially why space is such an important part of the magical ritual. Now, my apologies for the lengthy introduction, but as this discussion is quite specific in nature, I thought it would be a good idea to give the listener a heads up to some particular things to make for easier listening. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the podcast, Andrea.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me, Stephanie. It's a pleasure.
0: Uh, it's so good to see you again, Andrea. I'm so very happy that you're joining me today to talk about magic and ritual magic spaces.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> we have got uh, a lot of uh, things to talk about. I have a whole list of things that I'm trying to try to get through today, but uh, we'll see what happens. Let's just jump in. You uh, recently taught a course uh, at Stockholm University, where you are located now, uh, about magic, uh, specifically magic in the history of religions. Uh, and when I was looking at the, the uh, reading list for the course that you provided for me, I noticed that it contained quite a bit of literature discussing uh, practices taken from antiquity and medieval periods, mm-hmm. Of course, mixed in with contemporary and all of, you know, trying to get a a well rounded view, of course. I've made a few attempts myself on my podcast to talk about magic, but it's usually been from a more contemporary perspective. And actually, my last podcast was talking about uh, emic uh, experiences in chaos magic. So this is very. contemporary stuff Uh, I haven't really focused a lot on earlier perspectives aside from the one interview I did with uh, Dr. uh, Korsi Dosu about um, the Coptic magical papiri uh, with uh, Korsi and that was really interesting to me so I'm very happy to have the opportunity to talk a bit more about these earlier expressions of magic with you today
1: Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. And uh, yes, the course was designed by me and Professor Aguilas-Prem and indeed had the scope to be, to offer this kind of uh, long-term perspective on the history of grimoire's tradition, especially, specifically European grimoire traditions. And uh, and indeed, while designing the course, uh, we realized that indeed uh, there were not so many uh, other places where, where where a course specifically oriented towards uh, uh, history of religion students uh, were offered um, in the in the European University, and so and so we thought also that to to offer it in this chronological order, so to focus on uh, for, uh, beginning with with antiquity, and also the first lecture was about the problem of magic as a category and the etymology of magic that. Uh, Originate in, in in Greek antiquity, and uh, and exactly and and let's say half of the course focused on uh, uh, late antique uh, um, the Greek magical papyri, but also late antique theurgy, medieval uh, ritual magic, and then uh, uh, Renaissance uh, ceremonial magic. Uh, so yes, that's uh, that basically was the uh, uh, the. Um, let's say the uh, yeah the first uh, uh, part of of the of this course, and then uh, in the second part uh, we would have focused on on late modern uh, traditions uh, that you're more familiar with mm-hmm. as you said uh, and uh, and it was very interesting to see also how 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 many um, connections we could have drawn throughout all the all the uh, the different uh, seminars, but also all the patterns of continuity that we have found across uh, you know the transmissions of uh, ritual techniques and practices. Because specifically, the course was focused mostly on and is um, because it's still going on. The course is focused on practices and uh, ritual techniques. Um, so the patterns continuities but also the transformations and innovations uh, in magical practices that we see across uh, mm. all these centuries. Because we need to remember that uh, uh, magic, or or um, uh, the type of magic, <laughs> with, in brackets that we find in uh, in the grimoire tradition, is a constant uh, uh, transforming and. Uh, uh, innovative tradition that mm. comes into reinvent itself uh, so it's not dogmatic in the sense that, we, that, that, uh, that it remains stable throughout uh, the centuries but according to the practitioners and to you know the, the way also uh, manuscript has been copied and transmitted uh, new elements appear uh, new hybridizations appears uh, and that's also what makes fascinating I think uh, uh, the topic in general
0: Very important that you uh, that you point that out, that it's uh, it's always developing. uh, The the ideas are are taken and by the the older ideas, I should say, are taken by uh, the the, the newer generations and kind of adapted to to their own tastes or their own uh, ideas uh, and and goals for themselves. So, uh, yeah, so this is great. I'm glad that you uh, explained that a little bit because we're not going to be able to discuss everything that you talk about in this course is far too, far too broad. Um, So I've narrowed our uh, scope of discussion down a little bit to a few of the texts that I've found uh, in the, in the literature list. And I hope this will lay a good foundation for our later discussion about your own research uh, about uh, ritual magical spaces. Uh, and for the listeners, the links to the reference material will be listed in the program notes. And luckily, I was able to find everything online, and it's free. You don't have to buy anything. It's these are one of exactly. it's one of these uh, rare occasions where you can find everything online. Okay, I'd like to start, and you've already touched on this. Uh, I'd like to start with this discussion about the word magic, and we're gonna when we say magic, it's always in quotation marks because uh, there's. <laughs> There's so much difficulty surrounding this term. And it's a little bit, I guess you could compare it to uh, the word religion. What is religion? What is, you know, what is anything? So uh, the word magic in in quotation marks. This is a very broad semantic field. Uh, I I really enjoyed the uh, article by Otto and Strasberg. Uh, talking, it's, let's see, it's called General Introduction, Magic, a Critical Category in the Study of Religions. And uh, on page two and three of the article, they talk about this very wide range range of phenomena. Uh, there are 39 points that they list in here, but this is just partial i mean this is not complete whatsoever a few of the uh, of of uh, the the points the bullet points that they uh, list here i'll just read a few uh, alchemy astrology conjuration of spirits divination exorcism hmm. healing uh, miracles and marvels Necromancy, which is the, uh, the, the practice of communicating with the dead, especially to predict future uh, outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, sacrifices, sorcery, spells, witchcraft. I mean, I could go on and on. There are 39 yeah. things here on this list. Yeah. Um, you know, when I was reading all of these things, I'm like, yeah, we all have this idea of magic. I think even people who aren't scholars uh, mm-hmm. in religion or in esotericism mm-hmm everybody has an idea of what magic is. And it's usually, yeah, all of these different things that people could, people could mention if somebody asks you, what well, what do you think magic is? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's very, uh, very broad in that sense. But when I was looking at this bullet point uh, list, I noticed words like alchemy and astrology, these could be considered things in their own right, but they're kind of lumped into mm-hmm. the category of magic as well. I thought that was interesting. Plus mm-hmm. other phenomena like exorcism, healing, sacrifice, mm-hmm. miracles. Mm-hmm. These are also found in other religious mm-hmm. uh, beliefs and systems like Christianity, for example. So this is already very fuzzy, very fuzzy term. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have anything that you'd like to add to the, to that argument?
1: Yeah, yeah, precisely. And I think... Um... Uh, that introduction to the anthology of uh, classics and magic that uh, Otto St. Strausberg has written is w- very, very w- fruitful, I think, for for um, opera- operationalizing uh, magic and the study of magic and uh, also possible path of research. <laughs> uh, because indeed, like, we have come to the conclusion that, uh, or the scholar community has come to the conclusion that uh, um, we cannot use uh, magic, how it was defined by the classics, uh, to uh, make analysis or interpretations of, for example, other uh, cultural contexts, uh, because it's deeply um, ethnocentric, uh, uh, the term. But also, as you said, uh, it's really hard to define what are the features of magic, because it's more... A- category that uh, uh, goes into the direction of uh, family resemblance so you can uh, ultimately you cannot ultimately say what is the essence of magic there are no ontological uh, features uh, that we can uh, uh, talk about magic but what we can do and that's what uh, Otto and Strasbourg propose is that we can indeed identify in certain patterns of magicity. So it's like moving from uh, a kind of uh, overarching category of magic as uh, uh, something that we actually identify in the world that we can distinguish clearly from uh, other practices, like for example, religion. And instead working at uh, what are the building blocks of what we actually perceive as magic and uh, or like that we can uh, conceptualize as magic or or for example, instances of what we would uh, call magic, then can also be found in religion. And so patterns of magicity is a more like kind of uh, tool, more more useful tool for doing comparison also, mm. comparison of more different contexts and and, and different, uh, um, uh, but also like theoretical also on, 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 on different, you know, theoretical approaches on, on magic and, and religion. And uh, I think that that's, that's what makes it useful to, to start thinking mm, not in terms of magic as something that we need to kind of distinguish from religion or that we need to distinguish from, uh, from sciences as the old paradigm that basically that was, that was the triad with which uh, um, classic scholars like Taylor and Fraser worked. So in, in, in seeing like uh, that magic was uh, distinct from science and distinct from religion, and there was a sort of evolutionary, uh, evolution of uh, societies towards uh, um basically from 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 magic so a sort of primitive uh, understanding of how uh, the natural world uh, works through uh, modernity that would have basically uh, overcome uh, the old uh, uh, magical primitive uh, models of how uh, nature functioned to our scientific model, so these of course are not any more um, uh, retainable as uh, as a correct paradigm of understanding uh, societies and cultures, so in this sense uh, going towards uh, a more um, fruitful uh, Way of using this uh, uh, multifarious uh, features and instances of what we call magic is uh, moving towards uh, patterns of magicity and and it's very interesting that uh, um, in this article they they use magicity in a drawing from physics uh, and they say that the magicity is uh, is um now if I recall correctly is uh, a property of uh, uh, protons i guess so that's uh there is a specific number of protons that makes uh, um, that particular uh, physical element particularly stable and so they link like this aspect of stability mm-hmm. with the notions of uh, magicity and uh, and that's uh that's indeed what we aim to do so to find to search for a more stable uh, categories of term that help us to do comparisons or to do like this kind of uh, analysis, so to use this as a lenses uh, to see, um, to, to, to investigate and to interpret uh, ritual actions, but also uh, representations.
0: That is uh, very interesting about the, the physics aspect, about the, st- the stable um, aspect of uh, trying to bring in this... Uh, this factor of stability for the topic, I guess, what you're, what you're studying. Mm-hmm. So, so we could think about, um, in this, in this sense of, uh, also what, uh, Egel Aspram was also talking about in his, uh, review of the article that th- there needed to be a singular object of study and not just this fuzzy mm-hmm. meta a uh, category which we're we're really trying to to stabilize and focus our attention on one mm-hmm. uh, one thing, such as uh, as he gave in his article, ritualized action as uh, an ontological feature of magic. Yeah. Um, no. So we're talking about magic then in the sense of kind of like the uh, the meta category or the umbrella term that encompasses all of these other phenomena or features. However, the word magic has been used in ancient texts, and mm. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what what are those texts referring to when they actually use the word uh, magic or magia or other forms mm. of the of the word.
1: Yeah, and here is not the, the problems. Uh will vanish away because also that's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's another completely another um, from another perspective from from the emic perspective so before we were talking about the etic uh, second order category but then of course we should not forget that in the magic uh, Mageia and all its derivatives also in other languages mm-hmm. uh, when it was translated uh, were still used by practitioner who also self-identified themselves mm. uh, as magicians and their practice as magic or ars magica, for example, in Latin, but also were used by the polemics. So the theologians who contested certain practices and certain ceremonies that were considered unorthodox. And, and this is, goes for the European context, the Western, mm. Western context, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. course, I'm talking about. So, uh, Indeed, uh, in this sense, uh, uh, practitioners and theologians also use the terms uh, uh, in different ways, so they define magic in different ways. But also, that's what is interesting, especially in the Middle Ages, is that we find uh, other terminologies. For example, you mentioned before necromancy, and you said uh, divination through the dead. Uh, But actually, uh, in uh, in the Middle Ages, uh, uh, this term, that was, uh, of course, uh, uh, a Greek term, necromantia, so the divination through the dead, when it was translated into Latin and became Nigromantia and negromancia also, start to have uh, new uh, meanings. Uh, and in particular, necromancy then uh, start to be attributed to uh, the conjurations of demons. So, Terminologies that were, you know, um, also the same terms or like similar terms like necromancy, necromancia, uh, necro- necromancia, have different meanings and, uh, and are and, and used differently uh, according to different sources and different practitioners. So uh, the problem is always uh, to, I think, uh, in how to deal with all these varieties and uh, of meanings and terminologies that can be ascribed to magic or that shares certain patterns uh, of continuing uh, in terms of uh, meanings but also uh, what they mean in actual uh, ritual practices uh, is that we need to always contextualize uh, our terms so uh, depending on the sources we are, we are dealing with uh, if you want i can go a bit in the history of uh, the term magic yes cause... please do no okay yeah so basically magic was uh, uh was referred was referred to as the art of the magoi A magos was a loan uh, word from the persian magus and uh as i said it has a- ambiguous definitions but uh and one of the first uh, sources where we find uh, used uh, Magoi uh, is in uh, ethnographical accounts, such as the one of Herodotus, uh, the famous Greek historian, in particular when he narrates about the Greek and Persian wars. Uh, is here that he writes about uh, Magoi as this uh, priest uh, or a priestly caste that... Uh, did specific particular um, technique, techniques uh, and, uh, and in particular in the Persian Wars, it says that this uh, Masian uh, or this Magoi um, chants, so use uh, um, uh, words of power and make sacrifices. So they were a sort of ritual experts and uh, Persian ritual experts and that uh, had an, an important religious function for for uh, for herodotus in this sense, so it was a, it, it was a category to to other uh, uh, sorry um othering category mm. uh, but at the same time then magos uh, if we if we go to um, another context that of uh, tragedies uh, I, it was used in a derogatory uh, meaning, and for example in Sophocles. Uh, 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 King Oedipus, uh, Tiresias was uh, considered uh, the magos, and uh, with the meaning of being uh, a charlatan, a hatcher of plots, uh, a crafty beggar. So we start seeing here, like uh, you know, um, again uh, um, polysemy. So like uh, at the same time, uh, they, they were ritual a ritual priestly caste, Persian ritual priestly caste, and at the same time, uh, uh, charlatan has this kind of derogatory meaning. But then uh, it's interesting also to, to, to look, for example, at the different, uh, um, sorry, at other different terms that, had, uh, that share meaning with, uh, with uh, magike, mageia, and magoi, that were precisely pharmacea uh, and goeteya. So, Goetheia, for example, has uh, was usually translated with sorcery, uh, and it comes from uh, the word "goes," uh, that means uh, the, the lament, and "goes" was the wailer. so the one that was uh, appointed for the communication with the dead, so that helped uh, a deceased to move from uh, from the here to there and um, and therefore it has a specific it was a specific figure uh, in during the moment of, of the death uh, and uh, but at the same time pharmacea for example uh, that was also another term used uh, that we find that uh, uh, referred to the use of uh, um, substances and pharmaca in particular certain herbs uh, uh, and it, in, it is interesting to see that uh, in, the, in the Suda encyclopedia, uh, there is a bit later than, uh, than the time when uh, Herodotus uh, wrote, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, this anonymous uh, uh, Byzantine encyclopedia says that Mageia is uh, an invocation for beneficent spirits, for the production of something that was good and benevolent. And by contrast, instead, the sorcery, so Goetheia, uh, uh, refers to an invocation of uh, maleficent spirits, uh, which should take place around uh, uh, the graves. So we can start to see that there are indeed certain certain elements and features that uh, suggest that... uh, uh, we are talking of, of a family resemblance uh, category right. uh, also across all these uh, uh, terminologies. Um, but as, as I hope I have portrayed, is that it's, it's very complex to, to try to, you know, reduce and synthesize uh, under like... A, a under uh, magic, uh, uh, all these features, like it's almost impossible. So uh, we talk about magic, but uh, we should also be aware of uh, all the other various uh, terms uh, that were used by our sources, not only in antiquity, but also in the Middle Ages and uh, modern times. For example, in modern time, even ma- magic uh, uh, is changed with a K, mm. uh, you know, to, to distinguish from previous magic. So it's, it's also, uh, it's also uh, ma- magic, then the term belongs also to the practitioners themselves that like uh, constantly, you know, right. uh, reinvent also the terminology. Uh, and, uh, and so it's, it's also important to, to look at, uh, at this aspect, of course.
0: So you've you've explained that very beautifully that the, the that that although we have this word magic, it's associated with other practices as well. Uh, even in antiquity, it's been associated with uh, with with other things uh, that also have their own terms. So that makes it, it makes it a complicated uh, kind of uh, area in which you're going to stick your toe into, of course. Also also wrote a different article about magic from the uh, Wiley Blackwell Encyclopedia of Sociology uh, that adds some other interesting points about how we could think about magic. Uh, he calls it a wandering word, which I think would be, you know, uh, apropos for, for what you're uh, discussing here about all of these, these different types of uh, meanings that this word has and different applications of the word associations of the word uh, it, he calls it a floating signifier, that it can mean uh, whatever the, the magician wants it to mean. You mentioned that with the contemporary expression of magic with a K at the end. Uh, so we have this uh, the power of, of the practitioner also uh, influencing what, what, the, what the word means to, to themselves. Uh, he also notices, or notes, notes, pardon me, notes that there are uh, four semantic notions regarding it, which is, and those four are ritual, power, miracle, and wish fulfillment. Uh, so that also kind of helps us to understand, I guess, more narrowing uh, of the category of, of, yeah, of the category of magic of what it is that we're actually mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also has two main social functions: uh, othering yeah. and self-identification. And you've already uh, noted that uh, that the word was used as a form of othering uh, when you yeah. were talking about the Persians and. Um, The self-identification I think we'll probably get into later on in the discussion. And uh, lastly, and here I want to actually pay a little bit more attention to these other three aspects that he talks about, quote, Western learned magic, uh, that it's valuable, uh, effective, and morally or divinely legitimate. And, In the list of other uh, phenomena or features of, of magic, it's always kind of or considered illegitimate. and and there is this pejorative mm-hmm. sense of what mm-hmm. a magician would be doing. You know you mentioned before about the charlatan aspect of of the mm-hmm. magician. So on that mm-hmm. last point about legitimacy, I'd like to talk about the possible reasons why people uh, wanted to practice magic. Uh, and use Hanukraff's chapter about Agrippa to, to frame this discussion. And uh, this heretical viewpoint of magic during uh, Agrippa's lifetime, but also even before and after, uh, is, is, is present. But Agrippa had a mission to, quote, restore the ancient reputation of magic as a divine art. And that um, I'm referring to uh, Walter Hanukraff's chapter out of the book The Occult World, And that Mm. quote is taken from page 93. I'm going to open up Mm. my book here. Um, Could you talk a bit more about this tension about Mm. magic and why people like Agrippa uh, were making this effort to change the attitudes about it, if you can?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is so uh, precisely, I think, what Otto is talking about here is uh, about. Uh, self-legitimization of magic and uh, uh, this aspect especially of uh, a divine granted authority in practicing magic, for example, that we find so often attested in the grimoire tradition especially, or in uh, Western learned magic, uh, so in this kind of uh, ritual textual traditions, is indeed the perspective of the practitioner especially these aspects we find it uh, often in the prologues of grimoires where practitioners state in advance uh, that uh, what is uh, what the content of the handbook or uh, the the rituals that uh, that they are um, about to 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 tell us about uh, are uh, uh, ordained by uh, divine authority and usually there is this uh, uh, narratives of uh, uh, a lineage that goes from uh, uh, usually angelic revelations as we've seen, for example, in the uh, Liberiuratus that give uh, uh, knowledge, magical knowledge to someone like, for example, Solomon and Hermes uh, these mythical uh, uh, figures that then pass uh, on knowledge and re- writes down knowledge, for example, in uh, in handbooks uh, like the Liber Juratus of the King Solomon to their son, and then in this in this case, then uh, the practitioner once they had in ma- in their hand uh, the the book or the handbooks, right? They are part of this uh, lineage of transmission that goes back directly to um, divine intervention, angelic intervention. So in this sense. Uh, we can conceive as grimoire, uh, the, the magic in the grimoire, or Western learning magic as uh, uh, as something that that uh, that practitioner contends to have been uh, divine, uh, divine and legitimate. So, uh, so in this sense, uh, when it comes to Agrippa, of course we are we are in a peculiar context that of Renaissance, uh, the Renaissance period. So it's also a period that uh, where magic uh, uh, or the theory theories about magic uh, are uh, start to being developed, thanks also to Marsilio Ficino, Giovanni Pico della Mirandola, and so on. And one of the central, uh, let's say, uh, concerns about uh, Renaissance. Uh, Uh, practitioners uh, or like occult philosophers so this this, this humanist that has a particular interest in these topics were about uh, the possibility of magic to be um, a way to restore A human uh, pristine conditions uh, that of uh, uh, the Adamic condition, so the the one that like uh, so uh, a condition that uh, uh, gives uh, uh, humankind this kind of dignity and uh, perfection of knowledge about the cosmos, about uh, nature, and of course it was not only Agrippa that had this in mind, but also other figures like uh, uh, John Dee for example, uh, and, uh, and in particularly uh, this humanist thought that uh, after the fall, humanity um, and nature uh, and learning about nature uh, has degenerated, uh, and therefore the book of nature uh, was uh, a corrupted text and, and the knowledge, knowledge then about, uh, about nature and the cosmos became uh, imperfect with errors and inaccuracy. Uh, uh, so they conceived uh, uh, magic as uh, a medium to, to uh, restore this uh, uh, Adamic language uh, that was then a perfect medium to obtain uh, uh, directly from, from, from God uh, this kind of knowledge, so at the basis therefore of this uh, of, of, um, of uh, the systematization of magic by Agrippa and the other humanist scholar was a uh, uh, desire to have this perfect knowledge and uh, and of course, uh, knowledge is uh, indeed a uh, continuity, i would say a pattern of continuity across uh, I would say all the all the entire uh, traditions of western learning magic uh, we find it often also in the in um, medieval ritual magic for example the desire to acquire uh, the knowledge of the cosmos uh, quite fast uh, quite quickly and uh, and through magic intervention to angelic intervention, for example, the Ars notoria is one of these uh, famous uh, that also that circulated a lot in the middle ages that give the possibility to practitioner to to obtain knowledge of uh, uh, the liberal arts uh, in a short amount of time. I don't remember exactly, but I think uh, uh, it's uh, uh, two months' time, I guess, or uh, now I'm not sure. But uh, anyway, in a very uh, quite shortly compared to doing the entire uh, courses of uh, at, at the university, and therefore, and, and this aspect that that knowledge is obtained through um, through contact and establishing contact with intermediary beings so that intermediary beings are those who can bestow knowledge unto humankind and that magic is a technique in order to to obtain uh, knowledge, perfect knowledge, is definitely, yes, uh, something that we find uh, um, as uh, uh, a continuity, I would say, and also as a desire that orients ritual practices and ritual technique in the traditions of, of, in the Grimoire tradition yeah
0: What you're uh, talking about with Agrippa is that there's a specific type of idea of what magic is is doing in, in this regard. Um, yeah. Hanagraf, uh has uh, has written a book about Lazzarelli. Uh, yeah. Seems to be a very uh, favorite uh, person in the past. Uh, that in this chapter uh, uh, about Agrippa, uh, Hanograph is. Suggesting that Agrippa was reading Lazzarelli and getting the ideas about this uh, this perfect state of mankind that that was uh, uh, in in existence before the fall of man. That this was an idea that Agrippa found in Lazzarelli. And what I was wondering from from your perspective. Uh, this whole this whole idea about you know there was this perfect state and that uh, magic can help us to return to this perfect state uh, before the fall of man had occurred. Uh, are you finding that Agrippa and and maybe a few other of his contemporaries, uh, as you said, the the humanist uh, mm. idea is this something that is unique to that time period, or are you also mm. seeing this type of narrative? in earlier periods such as ancient and and medieval or is this just Mm -hmm. uh, located in this renaissance time
1: well, uh, uh, I would not do, uh, do a straight comparison. So to say that there uh, was actually the same argument that uh, you know after the fall, uh, uh, humankind has lost uh, uh, the knowledge of uh, uh, of uh, this uh, this language, this non-discursive even language that that, that, that grant the possibility to to have this uh, perfect knowledge, but uh, clearly like uh, uh, that. For example, if I compare with the Picatrix, uh, this aspect that of also in the Picatrix we yeah, have this that. Uh, idea that... Uh, um magic give you the possibility to unveil the, the mystery of nature because you then knows about how this all these occult forces works in uh, in the universe and in one of the first chapter of the picatrix we have this sense that actually humankind through magic which there is not called magic but it's called nigromancia <laughs> and here like there, here is what we were saying before uh, right. through nigromancia Uh, humankind can climb back to the place uh, where they come from so where god dwells and from therein they can have uh, uh, perfect knowledge so uh, this was also of course uh, uh, one of the goals of uh, of theurgy to have ascension so but uh, uh, I want to make a, a, a straightforward comparison with uh, Agrippa uh, and uh, Dees, for example, uh, um, um, theorization of magic uh, uh, as a way of... Uh, because that was specifically also for D was specifically about language. Mm-hmm. So magic has to do with words mm-hmm. uh, and... Uh, And indeed, all the Enochian magic that comes after with D was about, you know, uh, getting uh, uh, this kind of alphabet, uh, uh, Enochian alphabet from angels and uh, uh while instead it's true that is it uh, magic as as always to do with uh um powerful words and words of power but uh i think in different ways and i think it is important to 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 highlight these differences also about uh, cosmologies uh, but also uh, what te- techniques especially also uh because i would say that uh the techniques uh, that, for example, imply, uh, employed uh, John Dee um, or Agrippa, or that Agrippa described in his uh, *De Occulta Philosophia Libri Stress, although if they draw on uh, drew on material on medieval material. For example, we know that D uh, used uh, the Summa Sacre Magice, that is a um, medieval compendium from the 14th century, written by Berengarius Canello, that has uh, all these uh, um, uh, techniques that come, for example, from the Libri Ratusonori, although they reinvented it and they reinterpreted it in their own mm. way. Mm. So... Okay. I I can see the continuity of like you know uh, reestablishing perfect knowledge and try to get this uh, perfect knowledge about how uh, the universe uh, works and this is definitely uh, something that that we that we can see but I think that is in, with with different different concerns different desires and different uh, uh, techniques also that is done.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. That is uh Uh, I'm very, very happy with that (laughs) that (laughs) answer. Thank you for humoring me. Um, Actually, though, for the listeners, I don't know if everyone out there is uh, aware of what the Picatrix is and why that book in particular uh, is kind of an unusual source to find uh, this this information about regaining the, the divine state and perfect knowledge. Could you explain what the Picatrix is?
1: Yeah, so, yeah, the Picatrix uh, probably is one of the uh, most influential uh, compendium, uh, theoretical and practical compendium of astral magic. Its, uh, it's, it's original is in Arabic and uh, it was uh, uh, translated then into Latin at the court of uh, Alfonso X in the 13th century. And uh, it's uh, very interesting precisely because uh, it has this both aspects, so it's both theoretical, so it, it offers a theoretical framework to magic that has specifically to do with the astral um, theories of how Planetary bodies uh, and the stars uh, emit rays and uh, or astral influences, and that uh, humankind can manipulate uh, through the use of substances and techniques and and ceremonies these uh, influences and these astral rays to produce uh, effects in nature uh, and in the sublunary world. So yes, so th- that that's basically. Uh, in general term what what is the picatrix about and uh, as i said it was translated into latin but became particularly influential in the 15th century uh, so it started to circulate quite quite uh, quite a bit uh, during the 15th century and and also that's why it also became a kind of uh, um, reference uh, text uh, uh, among uh, uh, renaissance humanists because uh the picatrix uh, wanted to show also how that uh, exactly the um, natural magic so uh, the use of uh, talismans and uh, amulets actually has uh, uh, belongs to all like the mechanics of natural magic belongs to natural causality and natural causality is directly connected to god 's will and so in, in, in this aspect, in this theory of magic that, that lays behind uh, uh, the Picatrix, uh, Renaissance humanists start to see like a, a sort of legitimization of magic and of natural magic in particular. That's why it became so popular. Uh, but of course, uh, the Picatrix is, is much more than uh, uh, natural magic <laughs> because uh, or astral magic, because indeed, it contains also uh, rituals of apparitions, uh, so uh, techniques uh, that uh, Uh, attempt at uh, conjure up planetary deities and planetary spirits in front of the practitioner so that uh, this deity should appear uh, in front of the practitioner and the practitioner then can communicate with them. And this clearly clearly falls, according to uh, theological understandings and uh, um, uh, theories about uh, uh, ceremonies, uh, uh, into that category of uh, addressative magic, what... uh, Nicholas Parrot call addressative magic so uh, ceremonies that uh, directly address uh, um, uh, intermediary being and therefore that falls out from uh, natural magic per se. That is the simple and um, uh, mechanic manipulations of uh, natural elements. So. So also the piquetry is very complex, and uh, and uh, I think also it 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 lays at the crossroad of astral magic and ritual magic, even though of course the framework is is that of uh, of talismanic and uh, image magic. But of course uh, it attests uh, uh, different uh, sources and different influences. As says a compendium, so the author of the piquetry drew from many other sources that then combined together and uh, and present in this uh, in this very huge actually uh, treatise of of magic is one of the of the hugest, I would say uh, together with the Summa Sacre Magice that I was referring before
0: so the the practices that are that are being um explained in this book uh the rituals etc uh would these have been um Practices that you could, as a magician, that you could be open about, or are these considered uh, very heavily um, heretical heresy uh, by mm. the by the church?
1: Mm. Well, yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's one of the problems uh, of also about uh, legitimization of magic. Yeah? So that the practitioner uh, clearly state that uh, <laughs> um, magic. Uh, is indeed uh, something that is given by by God, so to humankind, and uh, most most of the occasions. And so, uh, in this sense, uh, they try to, yeah, um, make the argument that uh, what they are doing is in line with uh, God's will. But of course, for the church, uh, uh, most of the time it's not it's not the case, and uh, and usually ecclesiastical authority condemned every practice is that has uh, some kind of addressativity, as I was saying before. So, for example, mm-hmm. in, uh, in particular in one uh, important uh, treatise, the Speculum Astronomia, uh, that was attributed to Albert the Great, it was there stated that uh, what could be considered like an illicit, Ceremony, abominable uh, uh, ceremonies, and those were specifically those that use uh, um, exorcism and uh, exorcism and uh, and uh, suffumigations and uh, and conjurations. So where there is indeed like uh, a sort of semiotics. uh, that uh, a system of signs, that for example the inscriptions of uh, or the engraving of a certain emblem with uh, with uh, exotic characters that you don't un- that you don't know the meaning of, uh, ecclesiastical authorities uh, uh, also like Thomas of Aquina, Aquinas says that uh, well if there is a sign uh, there is clearly. In- it means that there is uh, um, communication with something, and this something can only be a demon. Mm-hmm. So they, they they basically yeah uh, try to condemn every type of practices that even though they claim, for example, that it's a form of angelic communication, uh, like in the case, for example, of the Liberato Sonori, where where the operators uh, explicitly address angels. Uh, Ecclesiastical authority will say that it's impossible to address angels because they do not uh, you know, um, obey to humankind that uh, lays at a, at a lower rank, and therefore what, uh, what actually they are doing is that they are subjugated by demons, and therefore uh, it falls in an in a illicit form of practice. So the debate also I think is a bit about uh, what are the entity that one uh, claims to conjure uh, and what uh, its the take uh, from the polemics on uh, right. what actually are the entities that one can conjure up uh, and then uh, the the forms of magic that indeed uh, um, would not cause any harms would be those who uh, do not imply any type of science but only for example the use of uh, herbs or stones and this would fall then into the category of natural magic, but also there, the boundaries are always fuzzy. Fuzzy, according to the sensibilities of the polemics on what could be considered illegitimate or, uh, or legitimate uh, technique.
0: I, I find this to be very interesting uh, in reading these texts about uh, the, the types of entities that one is trying to contact. Uh, that especially, and, and you mentioned this uh, this book, uh, the Liber Iuratus Honori, or in in uh, simple English, uh, the Sworn Book of Honorius. Um, there is a, a portion in that book that says that the, there are certain types of angels that can't be summoned because they're only in service to God. So. Yeah you know, those are like the highest angels, you can't summon them, you can't conjure them. So, you know, if if, even if you are making some type of uh, request or intercession to God through these angels, they wouldn't listen to you anyway. So who is it that you're talking to? You're, you're, you have to be talking to a demon. So it's like this, this whole roundabout going back and forth with, you know, who are you actually talking to this whole trying to make the argument of no, 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 I'm actually talking to an angel. I know I'm talking to an angel. But can you be sure because you know that whole rhetoric of demons are always impostering and uh, the angel so makes it very uh, very tricky to try to make yeah. it a legitimate form even if you know yeah. if you're being accused of of conversing with demons and you want to make the argument of angels it's like you're going to be shot down immediately because how can you how can you make any you know proof quote-unquote, yeah. proof of, of who it is that you're actually conversing with. Exactly. So. that's
1: also fascinating to see in the, for example, in the Swarm Book of Honorius, uh, if we look at the words used by the the authors uh, or the redactors, uh, because also this we, is an important aspect, I think uh, I should mention about this tradition, is that uh, these traditions, or uh, uh, like the transmission of the text, uh, also encompass different uh, um, hands at work on the text, so it was not 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 only the author but also the redactor the copyist that you know add things and change things and for example in uh, in uh, in the london tradition so in the bulk of manuscripts that are kept at uh, at the british library uh, of the Liberiuratus, we find for example that uh, in certain in certain um, passage of the text, uh, the author used the, the word uh, angelus, so angels, and in other parts used the word spirits. So there is even an ambiguity <laughs> among uh, the redactors uh, and the copists uh, on, uh, you know, uh, how to call uh, the entities and uh, what sort of entities they are. And it uh, has also already been shown that indeed uh, uh, the Liberiuratus attest uh, uh, Jewish and uh, Islamic influences uh, when it comes to intermediary beings that intermediary beings address, especially the angelology of uh, of the Rutus might have uh, Jewish uh, sources and influences from Hekelut literature in particular, but also the way of addressing the angels might refer instead on uh, Arabic uh, uh, demonic conjurations and invocations. So again, here we are dealing with uh, with a very complex uh, uh, system of uh, um, transmission, path of transmissions, and uh, cultural, uh, you know, encounters that uh, shape the practice of magic, the, the techniques, but also the way uh, people might have understood uh, these entities. Uh, um, and we need to understand also that. Uh, 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 magic is as, as always goal oriented, so at one point uh, the most important thing is that uh, the practice should be as effective and uh, and it's not so much uh, a point about uh, if I'm doing something dogmatic, I want something that you know is powerful and effective and uh, uh, I draw from the source that uh, it seems to me the best and <laughs> most authoritative also yeah. on the term on on the topic, and that's also why we see so much variations. Across uh, um, handbooks uh, and manuscripts.
0: Right, right. I'd like to get into the sworn book of Honorius a little bit more, uh, and get back to this um, um, discussion about the types of spirits and how you can how there might be little clues uh, from what source this information might be coming from, whether it be Jewish or Islamic or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chapter by caitlin messler uh Mm -hmm. talks a lot about uh this book uh that's coming out of the book invoking angels by claire or edited by claire fanger um she has a table in in this chapter that that goes into this so i'd like to get into that a little bit uh, more as we go on i'd like to uh just start by noting though that as the story goes in this book of the swarm book um She writes, uh, Caitlin writes, uh, the Pope and other high-ranking church officials have been manipulated by demons into believing that the magical arts are evil. In the face of impending persecution and out of fear that their art would be lost, a council of magicians gathered to preserve the secrets of magic. They chose Honorius, the the main title character here, uh, to commit this magical knowledge to writing, and he did so with the help of an angel named... Cruel hell. Mm-hmm. I'm not certain if I'm pronouncing that yeah. name correctly. Uh, <laughs> yes. the, magi- the magicians then swore an oath to protect the secrets contained in the book, and therefore it is known as the Sworn Book. So I think this is also kind of like almost a thriller in a sense that you're reading this book and there's this this juicy mm-hmm. bit of information in there that the the exactly. manipulation by demons and, and all of this. I just think that's I think that's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's one. O- yeah, exactly. That's also what I was uh, saying before about uh, legitimizing first hand because that is the prologue of yeah. the handbook. So, are uh, the first pages that one would 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 read, right? And also, uh, yeah, the, 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 this prologue has been particularly used by scholars to try to find uh, a date for the uh, Liberi So, when could have possibly be written? Because this prologue indeed tells us about uh, possibly that uh, uh, the, the date of composition might have been the pontificate of John uh, the 22nd so um, that uh, had his pontificate between 1316 uh, uh, and 34 and, and this because the the so the, the Libri Ratus uh, is made of a first uh, opus, a first work, a first operation that is the The obtainment of the visions of God, and uh, and during the um, during uh, the pontificate of John the twenty second, the vision of God uh, was 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 uh, um, let's say was uh, ordained that the vision of God cannot be obtained uh, until after uh, the final judgment or uh, death, and uh, and uh, and therefore this particular aspect of the ritual would have been uh, heretical in a, in a sense and therefore the, the authors try to to you know defend themselves uh, and saying that yeah the pope and uh, the ministry of the church were biased by by demons uh, in thinking that uh, yeah uh, the, the, uh, that magic is an evil practice uh and uh, so yes, yeah, that, that is about the prologue that, and about these uh, this particular aspect of uh, of uh, trying to defend themselves uh, and being apologetic about uh, mm. uh, the techniques uh, that are written uh, in in the in the handbook. But indeed, the handbook is not only about the visions of God, uh, but it's also about conjuration of spirits. And indeed, it's interesting that we find first uh, the visions of God and then. Uh, the sequence of uh, conjurations uh, of three types of rank of spirits, uh, the terrestrial, the, sorry, the planetary, the airy and terrestrial spirits. And uh, and it's interesting also to see that it's a kind of, it it is a kind of, uh, um, there's a kind of rash, uh, rationale mm-hmm. according to this, uh, the way in which the handbook is structured because the first uh, ritual, so the obtaining of the visions of God, also grant permission then to, Work uh, out the conjuration, so to conjure up the demons. So, demons are always conjured up thanks to the authority that is of God that is granted onto uh, the practitioners. Um, and um, so, and also we see here the 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 argument of uh, why magic is indeed. Uh, elicit <laughs> practice according to to the author because uh, it's always God that gives the power to the operator, mm-hmm. to someone mm-hmm. and, and it's never that the operator has uh, um, power by themselves on right. uh, on on this hierarchy. Right. And it's also a way to, how to say, to use, especially to use uh, liturgy, Christian liturgy especially, so to to manipulate lit- liturgy and to adapt the traditional liturgy or the, the orthodox litur- uh, liturgy uh, in a new way for for these uh, personal goals, so, right, because right. we have the 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 uttering of the psalms, uh, these purification rituals uh, that reminds a lot about uh, uh, about uh, Christian liturgy.
0: All right, I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about these uh, types of spirits, the celestial. Mm-hmm. Uh, planetary mm-hmm. area and terrestrial uh, angels mm-hmm. that that the sworn book talks about I thought this was really interesting you know I, when I was studying with you and even before that in my bachelor about you know religion I always thought I don't know why I did but I always thought that there was like this barrier between my able to my ability to comprehend old texts you know, grimoires or other compendiums and things. I always had this like self-imposed limitation put upon myself. Like, I can't, I can't read this stuff because it's not gonna make any sense to me. I don't understand it enough. And I'm really kicking myself uh for doing that because I think this stuff is so interesting. These mm-hmm. these old these old really old books are really interesting. Like I said before, it was like this book opens with a like a thriller would, like the Da Vinci yeah, yeah. Code or something that the demons are, yeah. you know, are, yeah. are deceiving the Pope and the cardinals and everyone yeah. within you know, the yeah. church. Yeah. I just think that this is actually. I'm, I'm really finding a new. Uh, a new appreciation for for <laughs> these old books, and I have to thank you for that because you provided all of this uh, information for me. The literature. I'm, I'm
1: glad. I'm glad to hear that. love you. And uh, so it's interested That
0: that as an aside, but I thought this whole the whole explanation about the the types of angels. Uh, that there's really this ambigu- ambiguous aspect of angels that they're really, some of them are neither good or bad. Some of them yeah. are very bad. Some of them yeah. are very good and benevolent, mm-hmm. depending on yeah. where you're calling them from. Mm-hmm. So could you talk yeah. more about these these types yeah. of angels and spirits? Yeah,
1: exactly. And, and here also we go into what uh, in Mesler basically chapter that precisely uh, about uh the nature of this angel, because uh, um, we know that it uh, was written by a Christian authors and redactors, probably the, the Liberi Sonori, so it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, this idea of uh, you know constraining angels from a Christian perspective, because that's really what the practitioner are doing this handbook so they are constraining and forcing them to appear in front of them and they are basically dragging them down <laughs> from the yeah. planetary spheres onto the place of the circles and they force them to execute what they request so it's really it's really um controversial like this way of dealing with the spirits and that's why Mesler points out about the innovations of uh, uh, of the Libri in, in 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 dealings with intermediary beings because precisely we start having. Uh, um, uh, aspect and characters of the angels that has to do more with uh, um, Jewish uh, frameworks uh, Mm -hmm. in particular uh, especially in terms of uh, the fact that uh, angels have now an identity, they have names and they have also uh, features, bodily features how they manifest also Uh, every every kind of angel has a a specific type of appearance but also the way in which uh, the handbooks describe, uh, or like uh, uh, the place where they describe, the angel is important because the the handbooks uh, gives uh, informations about uh, the angelic characteristics, feature, the place in the cosmos, uh, their order and their ranks before one. Uh, is supposed to read about the procedure on invoking them and this is typic of, uh, typical of typical uh, of instead arabic sources where it is very important ones to know about all the features and the characteristics and the names of these entities before invoking them because it's knowledge about who they are and how they are made and, and also what one should expect it gives like uh, Power over them. <laughs> so, also these aspects are important uh, to mention that uh, that we need to be aware of. Like, yeah, the the, the multicultural aspect of uh, yeah, of yeah. Uh, of um of this uh, cosmology as well, and so. Uh, but what is interesting also is that, uh, in terms again of the structure of the text uh, and uh, uh, these uh, intermediary beings, angels or spirits, how we want to call it, call them, is that they are, uh, for example, one uh, first comes the planetary uh, spirit secondly comes the Aries period and thirdly the terrestrial spirits and so we, we have a kind of progression right from above to below from the celestial spheres so for the visions of God so outside actually the mm, beyond sorry mm-hmm. the um, prime mover so in, in the Empyreum and then we move progressively throughout all the books to, toward the sublunar world and, uh, and this is also interesting to see uh, this aspect spatially because uh, the planetary uh, spirits are supposed to appear on a molded semisphere uh, made of bricks or, 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 or earth and while instead the earth, uh, the earthly spirits are supposed to appear in a pit. So we have also this kind of uh you know um correspondence or or or, or um yes uh yeah. tells a lot about about the place themselves yeah. that like this 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 uh, this entity inhabits but yes but i think also it shows about how a lot about the creativity in uh, not only in representing and uh, and um mixing up elements right of of uh, of uh, of, uh uh, different traditions and sources in in making like the the idea of what what is an angel and what is the possible apparition one should expect, because that's also another important aspect that of of. Uh, Grimoires. Generally, um, grimoires need to need to provide expectations uh, of uh, what one could experience, Uh, and of course, uh, having uh, you know anonymous uh, angels uh, or like angels that are completely detached from uh, from the human dimension, uh, it's quite it's quite difficult for for uh, for to represent to arise expectation. While instead, a tradition that has The qualities of angels so fruitfully described, uh, even aesthetically, give much more memorable even uh, impressions of what could be the possible expectations of their apparition so of course uh, i think this image of angels uh, and and of uh, uh, basically human body shape uh, entities with fiery eyes uh, uh, and um, beautiful wings uh, but also uh, kind of uh, threatening creatures are what would be called uh, uh, counterintuitive. Uh, so I think that also cognitively we need to understand mm. that uh, certain, uh, certain narratives and certain uh, features uh, about angels are more prone to be transmitted into traditions than uh, other, yeah. especially in traditions that are not so dramatic and that draws from different uh, sources and, and, and contexts.
0: Getting back to what you were talking earlier about the uh, the different influences on a book like the Sworn Book, uh, and how the this book seems to have Jewish and Islamic influences in um, in the chapter on page one thirty 130 and one thirty one. There's a table uh, overview of comparative angelologies, which I thought was oh, yeah. very interesting, and and how uh, what I what I mentioned before about the moral status of angels Mm -hmm. Uh, in Latin Christianity. Angels are considered good entities in Jewish magical tradition. They're considered ambiguous and Mm -hmm. an angel may be bad or good. And in the Islamic magical tradition, uh, an angel is neutral. Angels act based on prevailing correspondences. So, that would have to do with maybe a location where the angel, if, yeah. if the angel is coming from the north or the angel is coming exactly. from the east. Uh, those exactly. would be terrestrial angels, by the way, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and then another, uh, how you address them, uh, mm. how you address angels. In Islam, uh, the Islamic m- m- or magical tradition, it's directly often invoked by the power of, uh, or name of God, but if you're addressing a demon, on the other hand, uh, you're also a, a directly addressing. But you can also be indirect by saying, "Where is the demon?" and then name exactly. the demon. So, whereas exactly. in Christianity, it's only by u- using the the name of God. And there are all these like little subtle difference differences mm-hmm. in how you're mm-hmm. how you're going about all of your activities when you're doing your yeah. conjurations, I thought was very interesting.
1: Yeah. Um
0: with with all of this in mind about what you're talking about, all these different types of uh, entities, whether they be angels or demons, I'd like to move actually now to your article about mm-hmm. imaginal architectural devices and how ritual space would be constructed as it's discussed in the swarm book because the swarm book is kind of like an instructional manual in a way correct that that it it tells you exactly what it is you're supposed to do so Mm. your your research focuses on uh spatial aspects of magical Mm. practice so if Mm. if you could uh talk about the I, and this is I guess this is also kind of a broad t- t- topic uh, to how, how how we can define this. But maybe a good place to begin, uh, if if you could explain what you mean by space, what you mean by because we there are all these different words that could be used as a yeah. uh, as a substitute for space. But you're using these words very specifically. Could you mm. talk a little mm. bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah,
1: no, exactly. That's also another, how uh, to say, complex cultural concept, <laughs> a space as magic is, I would say. Yeah. So um, I would say it's impossible to define it ultimately because it's uh, what is space, what is location, what is place, because it's been used uh, differently uh, from antiquity up to now and also... Theoretically, by scholar community, uh, depending on the discipline, even like geography, human geography, architecture, um, history of religions, uh, the use space and place uh, with different nuances and different understandings. And even across contemporary scholars, uh, for example, about the sacred, what is sacred space and what is ritual space, uh, etc. Uh, we don't have a common uh, agreement and there are different uh, uh, understanding and frameworks to to interpret what is uh, ritual uh, ritual space and sacred space, but uh, of course, when I start uh, developing my project, my PhD project, I uh, I was sure that I was looking at. Uh, specifically about magic circles and about uh, um, all these re, uh, ritual arrangements that uh, people, that the practitioner um, talks so, so you know, thoroughly about in this handbook. As you said, the Liberty Rattus is, is, is a book of instructions and it's very detailed in these aspects, these spatial aspects. And... Uh, So for me, uh, when I talk about space, uh, I always consider uh, uh, the role of uh, spatial cognition and so how indeed... uh, I was I was start from uh, from the body when I, th- I think about space. So how the body you know move in the space uh, and uh, um, what what are also the boundaries that uh, practitioners uh, put uh, between their bodies and uh, the entity. Summon. So that what I mean by space is this kind of uh, relational uh, dynamics uh, between uh, the body of the magicians and the surroundings in, in which they perform they pra- their practice so that that's for me what what what, uh, what i consider uh, a spatial analysis of uh, of uh, ritual magic and uh, ritual techniques so yeah th- this, this is the sense in, in which i use it and uh and of course uh, in the article I, I I present a bit more about uh, the theories behind uh, ritual space mm-hmm. and sacred space in particular and uh, sacred space uh, i'm I'm in line with uh, the cognitive science of religion perspective on what is sacrality so um something that is set apart and so that people can indeed a uh, humankind has this natural ability in setting things apart and creating uh sacred things uh, things that are deemed special by setting things apart and and i think that indeed uh, Mm, architecture and architectural operation that I consider them in a broader sense is not only um, making walls or, or constructing walls but also like a simple line drawn on the ground for me is an architectural operation precisely helps to or oh, like is able to to precisely to create sacralities by setting things apart so an, an internal space from an uh, external space so in this sense also, I relate a lot uh, uh, spatial theory with architectural theory. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have I have answered uh, the question actually. But, yes, I yeah. think
0: you have, and and you mentioned that the ritual magical circle is a very you know often used, I guess, space <laughs> for yeah. lack yeah. of a better word. Yeah. What yeah. what is um, what is this circle actually doing and how does this relate to the human body as you're talking about this, yeah. this relation of the body to, to the environment in which it finds itself. Yeah. What are the circles doing to the body?
1: Exactly. So, the, uh, exactly as you said, it's, we, we find it very often, the circle, but we find very different uh, way of, of using the circles. Mm. Um, also in the Liberiuratus, uh, we have three types of circles that are mentioned. Uh, according to the three ranks of spirit, for example, and uh, and the circle uh, creates a protective boundaries basically from uh, the operator to and the practitioners, but also it could be used as a um, as a boundary of containment for the spirit themselves. So the thin line on the ground that the operator trace is supposed to both uh, and the diagrams that. That the operator traces uh, also along with the with the with the circumference So the circle we call it circle but it's never only a circle is is a ge- geometrical composition mm. on different uh, geometrical elements yes. and a circumference. So this geometrical composition exerts uh, power towards uh, the 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 entity sumon. So he's also able to attract. The entities in certain case but also it protects once the body of the magician is inside it is protected from from the attacked from outside so in this sense it creates indeed uh, a very powerful magical boundary that i call imaginal because it takes uh, for a symbolic and uh, aesthetic implication that. Uh, that entails drawing a line on the circle that I talk about in in the article. That reminds a lot about the uh, the way in which uh, ancient cities were constructed by by um, you know ploughing the ground uh, and and uh, so it's both it's th- th- this powerful powerful act. Uh, I I argue is able to 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 make the practitioner to sense uh, the boundaries and to sense. Uh, uh, differences between uh, internal space and external space, and uh, and also to is able to 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 sense the presence also of what is not actually there. Uh, yeah. So an invisible uh, an invisible wall or an invisible boundary. Yeah. Mm, the simple act of of, of, of tracing a line on, on the ground. So this is what what does I think the circle to bodily spatial perception as well.
0: You call your uh, your spaces, I guess, imaginal architectural devices, or IADs. Yeah. And you yeah. use term uh, in your article device, uh, that mm-hmm. this is a device. Uh, but you also go back a little bit in your etymology. Uh, there's another word you use, the dispositif, yeah. And how this is defined and used in your concept of imaginal architectural devices what do you mean by you by this iad term what do you mean by this
1: yeah uh so yes i i i used uh, this uh, notion of device i've taken from uh, agamben uh, the philosopher who theorized uh, the notion of uh, apparatus uh, dispositivo apparatus in english but also can be translated into device, uh, and dispositive in French, because, uh, uh, it's precisely because uh, of this aspect of, of magic circles, uh, uh, that they are mobile and temporary. So the fact that uh, uh, the conjurer could uh, uh, reproduce the circles everywhere uh, in their uh, you know, in the surrounding, but Mm -hmm. also that can be easily erased and deleted, and that can be, for example, drawn on a carpet and then closed and open when when needed. Refers to, uh, this this aspect of mobility refers precisely to to the notion of device and device Mm -hmm. also contains... uh, uh, the notions of being uh, uh, something that can transform and orient the apprehension of uh, reality of uh, people, and so in this sense, uh, uh, device is something that can transform uh, the special perception of uh, of the operator, but it can transform also their you know ways of interpreting the coordinates uh, on uh, on reality and changing them, creating sacrality. But it is also portable and mobile, and that's why I think the device uh, fits neatly, neatly in this uh, in this definition of both mobility and sacrality and construction of sacrality and deconstruction of sacrality, and so on. And then, uh, and then is architectural imaginary architecture for the for the for what I explained before. So the fact that uh, mm, the construction of an interior and exterior space and the act of engraving the ground with uh, a furrow or like, uh, yeah, it's, it's in itself an, archi- uh, an architectural operation it's an architectural act mm-hmm. and, uh, and it's imaginal because it creates an imaginal boundary so it's a boundary that uh, it's uh, signified by the, uh, the simple line on the ground but has the power, the imaginal power to, to, uh, to separate the magician from, from the entity is conjured
0: Thank you for explaining that. That, is, uh, that. That's helpful when you're listening to, uh, <laughs> to this and not being able to actually see uh, the actual uh, uh, conjuring space with your own eyes to, to be able to kind of call it up uh, in, in, in your mind's eye, as it were, what, what we're actually talking about here. So this device, the circle, Let's talk about what happens inside this circle you You mm-hmm. mentioned a strategy of miniaturization in uh, yeah. in your yeah. in your article. I thought this was also very interesting uh, when and, and maybe it's an important thing to to mention right now when someone is going to do one of these conjurations out of this book, this isn't just a uh, uh question of oh just let me pick up a few little things here or stick and I'm gonna draw this circle and I'm just gonna jump inside of it and I'm gonna say <laughs> some things and uh and then something's gonna happen. No, this this no. is a long term um, yeah. <laughs> action uh with it planning is, Construction. Uh, there's mm. there's also bodily uh, fasting, purification. There's certain things that that the practitioner has to do, the magician has to do. Uh, but not only the constructing of the circle, but all these things that the body has to uh, endure before you can yeah. even get to the motion of uh, I'm going to start conjuring this angel. So when you're inside, or when the when the magician is inside the circle, you're talking about the strategy that, that the magician uses of miniaturization. What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So the, the miniaturization is something that I've, um, that has been already discussed in another context of uh, magical theory by um, Jonathan Smith, in late antique practices, and uh, miniaturizations refer to the fact that uh, yeah you basically uh, make something small or like you you create a diagram of something else uh, so you can is a kind of is a sort of abstraction even that you're you, mm. that, that you're doing and um, and this act of miniaturization can amplify. The powerful the powers and meaning of uh, the object that is miniaturized magic circles are precisely miniaturizations of uh, uh, cosmological topographies uh, so by studying the the dia- the diagram of the circle that I was saying before is not only a circumference, but uh, is, uh, are multiple elements uh, uh, combined together, we can clearly see that. Uh, the models of the magic circle were actually um, medieval uh, diagrams of uh, uh, the structure of the cosmos. So uh, the celestial spheres, uh, the place of the Earth within the celestial spheres, uh, the uh, directions, uh, the place, the, the intermediate directions, uh, etc. So. Uh, in this sense, what what the operator is actually doing inside the circle is that by by placing themselves in this, uh, uh, that's what I argue at least that by placing themselves in the in, in the middle of the circle, at the center of the circle, they are actually relocating themselves within the cosmological order by these mi- miniaturization gymnics, and from therein they are in the place of power and control. So. They are indeed at the center, as if they were at the center of the universe, right? And so, from therein, they can exert control from the out uh, to the outside and, and 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 compel the spirits to come. So, indeed, I was before the circle is both uh, an imaginary boundary, but also is a is a place of power, and it is a place of power precisely because it is a miniaturization of cosmological topographies and and hierarchies. That and through the miniaturization, the operator can then act on that topographies and, uh, uh, and locations that can, can, can become um, an active agent on them by crossing the threshold, entering the circles and, and, and placing themselves at the center.
0: Do I understand correctly that because this strategy is used, this miniaturization strategy, is that the thinking was, uh, for example, I think that was mentioned in your text or in uh, Caitlin's text, that you have this this immense. Uh entity, an angel that, you know, it's probably, you know, a planetary angel, for example. You know, you have Mm -hmm. this huge, immense body of the planet to to begin with. Then you have this entity that you have no idea of what what kind of uh, measurements this entity has. If it's, you Mm know, it's Mm -hmm. probably very, very large, uh, Mm -hmm. physically large, if we would try to, you know, put it Mm -hmm. into a physical Mm -hmm. form, Mm -hmm. it would probably also be large because a planet is large. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to make like a little... Uh, microcosm of the macrocosm so that this entity can fit into your yeah. magical circle. And I know that, that, I don't know if that sounds silly the way I'm explaining it, but <laughs> that's kind of the no, way I understood it. It's like everything has to fit inside this circle. So you have to yeah. make symbols, you have to make uh, diagrams, you have to construct like a little uh, diagram of the, what I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the word uh, the diagram that you have, the, the old diagram of yeah. the, the different levels. Yeah,
1: the ranks. The, the ranks,
0: yes, yeah, the ranks. Yeah, so yeah, you have yeah. all these different spheres that yeah. have to kind of be condensed down into this little circle. So you have to make like little representations of all of those things in yeah. order to condense that, that, that expanse. But also that power into the small space. Am I am I yeah. understanding this correctly?
1: Yeah, I, I think you're quite right when you say okay. that, like that uh, that uh, practitioners want to make the contact with this entity manageable. So uh, they want uh, they they give, give they give uh, for example in the uratus uh, indications of their dimensions, how tall they are, and so on. They're usually Two meters tall or something like that the planetary spirits but the point is that uh, yes these entities are exactly at a higher rank so they are much more powerful and they can be of course uh, uh, they can be dangerous for for the operator right and so the circling did functions precisely in, in this sense especially the one of the planetary spirit they are asked to to appear and to descend on that uh, uh, circle in a benevolent way, so there is always this uh, this sense of making and of hosting the spirit in an appropriate uh, location. And clearly, for example, uh, I argue in the article that uh, the the circle for the planetary spirit is clearly a miniaturization of the heavenly sphere, where where they are supposed to they, they are they be, they believe they dwell. And exactly, it's always a technique of uh, of making, I think, the contact manageable for uh, for the operator to create uh, to mi- mimic the spatial conditions of uh, where they dwell, and then uh, by mimicking the spatial condition where they dwell, they attract also them to that place. They make the condition for them to stay and to have a communications with with them.
0: So it. Would the, the, the principle be the same whether you were conjuring a, an angel or a demon? It's the same idea?
1: In, in that, that's, or uh, is it uh, different? There's always the problem of then of, of uh, what is an angel and what is a demon <laughs> among these the texts, right? And uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, as I said, there, there are very different um, uh, ways also of using the circles. Mm. So, a circle can be used uh, uh, simply for protections of of the operator, but circles can also used to host uh, the spirit. So, as uh, uh, a, a, and and the operator stays outside. Mm. It depends on 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 the source. Depends on the entities and depends on the perceived danger uh, danger of the entity mm. also as well. But yes, but but in general terms, I think that uh, what the circles create is precisely a boundary that allows a sort a sort of permeability for the communication to happen, and is able to also. Uh, mediate the communications mm. between the practitioners and the entity in order that they have a safe relationship okay and this is something that we also see in uh, latent magical practices where they don't use circles as they do in uh, in medieval uh ritual magic but also there it's very important uh, the phylactery so something that is wear on the body for the protection of the magician body because in the presence of the deity that appears the practitioner is in danger because the energy and, and the power that, 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 that the entity is able to generate can be harmful for the practitioner. So it's always important that the contact in rituals of apparition can be mediated. And I think that magic circles and other special techniques are able precisely to mediate the contact with, with, with the angels and uh, with the entities and spirits and so on.
0: So in the the circles themselves are not just any any old circle there are there are very specific dimensions for the yeah, type yeah. of cirf- circle that you have to construct for yeah. the type of entity that you're wanting to conjure, correct, yes, right. exactly.
1: there are different circles for each entity and for each operations. The varieties of circles is endless is almost endless uh because it's constantly reinvented uh right mm-hmm. it's uh although we can we can identify in certain Patterns, but uh, the the circles are constantly transformed. Uh, the the shape, even across the same ritual tradition uh, or certain manuscript traditions, we can see differences in how circles were conceived and constructed. Also, in the Liber Uratus itself, the circle in the Summa Sacramagiae is different from the one that we find in the London. Uh, mm. Tradition and this depends precisely on this great variability, hybridization, innovation, transformation that mm-hmm. is typical of uh, the Grimoire tradition because belong to uh, all the redactors and the copies and the authors that uh, you know work on the mm. on on the manuscript and change the manuscript according to their or interpretations and also according to what they consider more effective.
0: Mm, understood. So this is not as some simple, uh, simple little endeavor that a magician is going to uh, do if they're trying to conjure, conjure up a spirit, whether it be an angel or a demon. This is very uh, meticulous, time-consuming. Yep. How off, how long did the practitioner have to wait before? The, the first construction period and then there had to be mm-hmm. like a, a waiting period. How long was that for? Yes.
1: So for the Liberiurata Sonor is yeah. 72 days, uh, <laughs> I guess. Does it have to be correctly. a new moon
0: or something before you could do the next step I, it or goes
1: uh, I think it goes according to liturgical time okay. uh, and it is. Uh, it was also mentioned, yes. Uh, phase of the moon phases, but uh, yes, it's it's uh, it follows also a purification uh, period, a very uh-huh. long purification period. Yeah. So the practitioner is uh, is supposed to purify himself, uh, both the body. Uh, but also morally should they should be purified because before they can actually uh, erect the first circumferences and uh, usually the, the the circle the construction of the circles take place uh, during one night the first night at least in the liberi Uratus and and then in the second night uh, it starts the proper invocation and arising of the spirits and so on. And and the conjuration lasts uh, three days in total. Right. So you, so
0: you have a period of time where you could have almost four months, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Some, something like that. Something
0: like that. Between yeah. three and four months for you to be able to do this.
1: To, to do... see Yes, also because then you need to have permission granted by... <laughs> by god's right to right. to to go forward uh, in the operation so it can uh, and maybe you need to repeat uh, in order to get to get the permission uh, so uh, it can yeah it can last it can be very, quite yeah but there are even longer ritual of like 18 months for example for the bramelin uh-huh. ritual so it's uh, right. Uh, right yes they are very they can be very time consuming yeah
0: well, this is all just absolutely fascinating to me. I am just—I am so happy that I that I'm talking with you about this and have been able to have the opportunity to read all of this uh, material. Uh, this really has uh, been a, a pleasure for for me, mm. a real joy because I always thought I, yeah, I don't know why, but I always thought, oh, no, don't even try because it's just too. Uh-huh. Too over your head. You can't you can't understand this stuff. So I'm glad that I finally did jump in with both feet and and, and try try to understand this and I'm really enjoying it. So yeah, I can actually hey, understand yeah, a lot I'm more than, to <laughs> than I think I can. I'm not that stupid after all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in conclusion, I would like to ask you if you could talk uh, about or talk about, you know, your thoughts uh, regarding why previous scholars haven't been doing the type of research that you're doing now? Uh, or if mm. they have, if it hasn't been, mm. you know, as in-depth mm. as, um, mm. in depth as mm. what you're doing right now. Mm. And mm. and why you feel that this is a lacuna or a gap in the understanding mm. uh, about mm. the practices of ritual magic?
1: Yeah. yeah, that's a very good question. And, uh, um, well, I think that... Uh, so... Uh, th- there are two reasons we are connecting to each other. So, uh, first of all, uh, um, we didn't have so much knowledge about uh, uh, handbooks of ritual magic. So, grimoires were like stored in the archives, mm. and uh, you know, uh, very few people like went in the archive and looked at them and tried to make a sense of uh, what was written inside. Uh, but precisely also about the, uh, the complexity, about the, the history behind this, these handbooks. We don't, most of the time, they are anonymous authorship, you know, we don't know who owned them. So it's very, we needed to do a kind of a, a basic philological work at the beginning. Uh, and so people focused mostly on texts, they focus on uh, textual reception, you know, textual transmissions, and uh, and also editing mm, handbooks like this. Because now we have, uh, even though there are so many handbooks that have not even been edited, not even been looked upon, uh, we we have uh, a consistent amount of of uh, of sources that has been now edited, and so I think that uh, up until now. Uh, scholars have done this like basic uh, work on uh, you know editing uh, and this is also fundamental so not basic fundamental work on uh, on uh, on editing uh, the corpuses uh, and the handbooks but also and is in connection to this then the attentions was put mostly on text and so of, uh, of, for example of um, literary topos uh, and uh, possible, for example, also, yeah, collections of uh, of you know of uh, w- where the, the texts were circulating, and uh, uh, if we can, for example, make a distinction between Solomonic magic and Hermetic magic. Uh, so, mm, what were like the you know try try to find like what could have been a Solomonic corpuses and so on. And these, of course, uh, and, and, and other aspects of uh, the handbooks uh, were, of course, uh, neglected. For example, the diagrams of mm. the manuscript, all the visual materials that the manuscript has, and uh, the material aspect even of the manuscript, the codicological aspect of the manuscript, were, um, yeah, were, were neglected because of this reason, because of the fact that we needed to do this like fundamental work on uh, on the text himself and getting the text uh, published and edited. And this is, I think, one... This, of course, creates a lacuna because uh, uh, when we want to address uh, practice and techniques... Uh, And uh, what was actually meant, uh, uh, ritual practice in these handbooks, uh, we need to start looking precisely at these elements in the handbooks that are the diagrams, uh, the way they conceived uh, the ritual space, the ritual actions, uh, the materials, the materiality, but also... The materiality itself of the handbooks, so for example, how the people uh, how the people draw their diagrams and so on, and this is precisely what what I'm doing. So I'm I'm looking at this aspect of of the sources, and uh, yes, I, I don't know if I have a, a answer, but yeah, I think that's a great answer. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: very clear and, uh, and 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 i i yeah i think that that's uh, uh, also uh what you're doing uh seems to i mean when i was reading your article it seemed to bring it to life almost because you know yeah if you're just focusing on the words of the of the text you're still left with all these questions as the reader like no. oh, how are you supposed to do this and You know, what are you supposed to use and how What do I have to wear special clothes or does the space have to be a particular size or uh, can I do it in my house? Do I have to do it outside? All of these different questions that that, you know, would pop into your head if you're like thinking about actually going about doing something like this. You know, all these even though that the even though the books were instruction manuals. If you don't have a a drawing that you can look at, uh, like a model of which you can use to, because these circles, as you said, are super intricate about all these lines and different uh, geometric patterns that are inside the circle. And then you have to write the name of the angel in a certain spot. And then you have to do this and you have to do that. All these different things, if you don't have like a visual guide uh, helping you, I think that that that, yeah, it kind of deadens the material in a way. And yeah. what you're doing now is fleshing it out. You're making it come, yeah, mm-hmm. come alive. And, and that, mm-hmm. I think, is mm-hmm. really exciting, especially for someone like me who feels kind of a sense of hesitancy about approaching these texts to begin with, thinking that I, I'll never understand what these people are even mm-hmm. trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, I think you're doing a important work in that sense of really explaining this is what's going mm-hmm. on In this Mm -hmm. circle, Mm -hmm. or this is what's going on in this space with this Mm -hmm. device. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I I really uh, I'm really happy to be able to talk to you about about that. Uh, The article's name, again, is Imaginal Architectural Devices in the Ritual Space of Medieval Necromancy. Mm -hmm. And it's found in Endeavor. Uh, It's uh, open source. Uh, I will provide the link. I would really recommend that everyone read the entire article. Uh, And also the chapter by, I can't remember her last name. Her first name is Caitlin. Messler, thank you. Uh, That also really explains a lot about the sworn book, how that uh, was uh, constructed, what was going on in that book. That gives you a a good basis, uh, I think, to understand uh, Andrea's article. Andrea, are you writing something uh, at the moment?
1: Yes, (laughs) something. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) something's gonna come uh, come up soon <laughs> it will be <laughs> it will be still about uh, space and uh, <laughs> and um, construction of uh, ritual spaces and uh, ritual magic but right. uh, uh, it will be about uh, something a bit later than mm. the Liberi scenario. so oh, okay. uh, yeah towards the period of uh, Agrippa and, and oh, okay. the others so so this yeah. is where, uh,
0: I'm I'm referring to your thesis now your dissertation correct
1: no 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 I'm not oh. referring to this, to this oh. no 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 Sorry. my thesis my thesis is about uh, the same uh, the, the Liberi ratus but also other other sources uh, influential sources uh, from the 13th to the 15th century. And uh, and I'm and I'm working yes on on the ritual spaces and the study of ritual spaces in this uh, across the constellations of of various sources from the 13th to the 15th century. But and now yeah, alongside soon, uh, of that you're also alongside writing... of that I'm writing an article on uh, on uh, on a topic that actually I I wrote about in my master's thesis and now I'm like kind of readdressing the the okay. the topic as well uh, is on the abramelin and uh, uh, that was. Yeah, I, I I was mentioning it before as yes. a ritual for some in the guardian angel mm, and uh, and yes we, it will be along the same line of my my research uh, okay. on ritual space uh, but um, in a different context.
0: And I'm embarrassed to ask you this but did you upload your uh, master thesis anywhere yes. where people can read? Yes, Is it yes, on yes, Academia? It's, pl- it's,
1: no, it's oh. on, Sunday I think on the uh, University of Amsterdam archive. Uh, and it's uh, oh, okay. uh what was called uvascriptis.com uh, oh, right. like. yeah. yeah. exactly. oh, okay like scriptis exactly okay
0: i'm going to make a note of that yeah. uva it's uh, it's available there
1: exactly uvascriptis right.
0: okay uh, and that was your research master thesis because exactly. I have not read that, I am embarrassed no. to say. <laughs> no worries, no worries. <laughs> but of now that I know where have. I can find it, I'm going to read yeah. it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I was always
0: very interested in your in your line of uh, research. Of course, when we yeah. were studying together, we were all doing our own thing. And I was often... Yeah in other kin land other and, can. And, yeah. you, and you were in ritual magical it space was, land. it was so
1: nice precisely because it was so diverse right we yes. have very different uh, yes uh interest and approaches but anyway we had the yeah common grounds exactly uh, yeah exactly yeah, yeah. i was
0: always very intrigued by your by your research though but like i said i kind of put a little limitation on myself thinking <laughs> i'm not gonna even be understand what he's talking about no, so it's, uh... <laughs> uh but yeah it's no it's it's very very accessible and approachable it's it's mm-hmm. not anything that i i just built it up in my head that it was as much more uh much more complicated than uh than uh, what it actually is. Not to say that you have you, you don't have to put a little of effort into it, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, because yeah. it is a it is a complex subject. Uh, it is I really think. a complex subject. <laughs> in yeah, that but, like,
1: uh, but also other can I think is a very <laughs> really complex subject as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. for it's, those who are in a different you know, way familiar with uh, yeah. In a different yeah, yeah. way,
0: yeah, and yeah. that's what it's about. It's your familiarity with things, and if exactly. you're if you're outside of that, because I'm not fluent in Greek, I'm not fluent in latin i you know i didn't study those uh, in school so i think those types of uh, issues were kind of holding me back thinking that i wouldn't be able 100%. to approach this material but luckily that is uh that was just uh, you know uh, something that yeah. i imposed upon myself that i didn't need to i am really yeah. Yeah. really enjoying your stuff and uh, will the article that you're working on now, will this be also an, uh published open access that we can yeah, see I, in the future? I think
1: it will be part of a volume, but oh, okay. uh, um, I'm not sure uh, if... I guess, yes, it will be open access, but I'm, I'm honestly not, uh, not, sure not sure yet. Not sure yet. But it's I will keep you posted. Okay, yeah.
0: great. All right. Um, uh, lastly, I'd like to ask if uh, if if you want to share... Uh, where people mm-hmm. can find you online and your yes, work. yes,
1: of course. Uh, um, well, I'm on Academia, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and then I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. Although I don't uh, use so much uh, uh, Facebook and uh, mm-hmm. and Instagram, uh, so people can can reach me easily on on Academia. I think. Okay. If, uh, yeah.
0: Do you have a profile at Stockholm?
1: Yeah, University? and I have of course a pro- okay. profile, uh, a web page at uh, Stockholm University. Okay. If you type uh, "Andrea Franke" to Stockholm University, right. you find immediately my my, okay. my page. Yeah.
0: I will be sure to include all of those uh, links mm-hmm. to those places in the program mm-hmm. notes. Yeah. Well, yeah. again, thank you so much for uh, for for talking with me today, and I always always enjoy spending time with yeah, you. So thank me you. Too, the
1: same. And I hope to see you sometimes very soon. Yes. If it will be possible uh, somewhere. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I hope so too. Yeah. And yeah, until yeah. then, I wish you the best of luck with all of the things that you're doing.
1: Thank you. The same for you, Stephanie. Thanks a lot for the opportunity.
0: Thank you. My thanks again to Andrea for this super interesting conversation into grimoire traditions and the larger category of magic in general. Please check out Andrea's research master thesis about the Abra Melin ritual, plus all the other links for more information about Andrea's work. I hope you'll take a moment to also have a look at the other articles I've linked in the program notes, as these really give... uh, a more complete picture of the whole topic of magic and grimoires. In particular, the article on magic by Otto and Stausberg, the chapter about the sworn book of Honorius by Caitlin Mesler, and the article by Nicolas weil Parot about addressative magic. In other news, I have a live show coming up soon on my YouTube channel about tarot with author, speaker, and artist Elliot Edge, who will be discussing and demonstrating, by means of a live reading on yours truly, their own process of card reading called Analytic Tarot. This will be taking place on the 31st of August, 3pm Eastern Daylight Time or 9pm Central European Summer Time. Elliot will also be taking questions from the chat, so I hope you will consider joining us for that, and I'm really looking forward to it. That's it for now. Take care, everybody, and as always, thanks for listening.